Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. I want to welcome all of you here today, as well as those online. And I want to share something that's been um, on my heart for a few weeks I begin to think along the lines of the value of the empty tomb. The value of the empty tomb. So I began to do a little bit of research, reading some stories. I read a story about a wealthy man. He's very wealthy. He was so wealthy that he was b- being buried in his Rolls Royce. And supposedly as they lured him into the grave... Someone in the crowd said, now that's really living. (laughs) Some of y'all get that after a while. (laughs) Really living. But I I found a list of the 10 most expensive tombs. Number 10 was Lenin's mausoleum. It cost around $15 million for that. And the Russian government spends about $200,000 a year on the upkeep. Not going to give you all of them, but number three was uh, Nicotus tomb that cost $300 million to build. Number two was the tomb of King Tut that cost $750 million. But number one... There's a pyramid that was built to house the remains, the Pyramid of Giza, that cost $5 billion to build. Now, if you went down the line, Michael Jackson, some of you are more familiar with him than you are King Tut. His $900,000. Now, mine, I've already got all my arrangements made, but I I, I wished I'd have waited because I got thinking... If I was cremated and put at Walmart, my wife would come see me every few days. <laughs> just, just thought about that. But what are about the graves that are most, most visited? What do you think is the number one site that people visit a grave in the United States? Elvis, about 650,000 per year. But that's not the most visited one. The most visited one is the grave of the unknown soldiers, where millions, that's what it says, just millions of people visit it every year. And I know you're probably like me, well, how many visit the empty tomb? I was really disappointed because only about 250,000 people visit the empty tomb and 650,000 visit Elvis. But what is the value of the empty tomb? What's the value of the empty tomb? See, all of the other tombs have remains of the people that are buried there. They're decayed bones or maybe if they were mummified bones. But the reality is there's only one empty tomb So what's the value of the empty tomb? And I know we can go to the Gospels and in a moment we'll look at what the Gospels say. Let's begin to see what Luke says in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, begin reading in verse 22. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan. Let me say that again. The definite plan. The definite plan that did not catch Jesus by surprise. He came to this earth for the express purpose of dying on the cross. And the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, now, Luke begins to recount and, re, and quote the book of Psalms. And some people said it was David talking about himself. No. I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also would dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of light. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about this patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb was with us today. Now he was not slamming David at all. David was a great man and he was made a promise that through his lineage with the world would be blessed with the, what we call the son of God. But he said, we brothers, I'll say with confidence that David, that he both died and buried and his tomb was with us to this day and his tomb was not empty. The bones were still there being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up. This Jesus, God raised up. And of that we are witnesses. Paul, or Peter was doing this preaching. He was speaking. He said, we saw Jesus. We saw him on the cross. We saw him put in the tomb and we saw his resurrected body. This Jesus, God raised up and that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This happened on the day of Pentecost. They were hearing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were witnessing that. It says, for David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus whom you crucified. So what is the value of the empty tomb? Well, what did Paul say concerning the empty tomb to those in, in Rome? Go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart 
to the gospel. That word means good news of God. The good news today is that Jesus Christ is not dead. There's an empty tomb to validate his life. And it says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God. Let me see that again. And declared to be the son of God. And declared to be the son of God according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. Paul was writing this to the church at Rome and he was telling them there's one thing that validated that Jesus Christ was the son of God. What was it? The empty tomb. The empty tomb, read verse four again, and was declared to be the son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, when Jesus was on trial, they tried to come up with something. They knew that they wanted to kill him, but what could they charge him with? He'd never committed murder. He'd never lied. He'd never stole. He'd never committed adultery. So what was he guilty of? Do you know the only thing they charged him with? He claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be the son of God. And the amazing thing was that he claimed it. Now we know that Herod put across the throne the, the king of the Jews. But nobody wanted to hear that Jesus was the Son of God. But the empty tomb validated that fact. The empty tomb validated that Jesus Christ was and is the Son of God. It is all about the empty tomb. Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24 as we read a few more verses. Verse 10 And when the governor had nodded to him, this was Paul on trial, he said, Paul replied, knowing that for many years you've been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up, up a crowd. See, he was accused a lot of time of causing riots. Paul never stirred up a crowd. He never did anything illegal. What was he doing? He was telling people about Jesus the son of God, either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city, neither can they prove to you what they now bring against me. But this I confess to you that according to the way which they called a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. He was telling the king, he said, uh, or Pharaoh, he said, I'm telling you that all the things that they accused Christ of, the only thing he was guilty of was being the son of God. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation 
and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they saw ought to be here before you and to make it an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves declare what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. So what was Paul guilty of? Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. So what was Peter on trial for? He was telling them that Jesus rose from the dead. That Jesus that was crucified rose from the dead. The tomb validated his message. Friend, it's all about the empty tomb. The empty tomb validates the promises of Jesus. Without that validation, we would be simply worshiping fairy tales. Because without the resurrection, we don't have any reason to meet today. I said, without the resurrection, we've got no reason to come together and celebrate today. But because there is an empty tomb, we celebrate today. I don't know why but I felt led to make sure I got this next point in. I added it this morning. I had thought about putting it in early, earlier, but I, I typed up my message. But I really felt led to put this in. See, one of the names of God is Jehovah, which means God of relationship. A God of relationships. Throughout the Bible, we find where he's always talking about that relationship. Many names are used, over 85 names. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, so let me back up a bit. See, the value of the empty tomb, each of the Gospels share the story of the empty tomb. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The tomb was indeed empty. Each of them shared their accounts and their accounts that Jesus had been placed in the tomb and now the tomb was empty. The value of the empty tomb. We're not going to read Matthew, Mark, and Luke's, but let's go to John. Let's go to the book of John and read. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the other disciple being John who wrote this. If you haven't noticed, nowhere in the book of John does he mention his name. What does he do? He says, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb. 
Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now what was John's mentality then? What was he believing? Was he believed they took the body? Did they believe that initially that somebody stole the body? But let's read on. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to, to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Seeking, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I am not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my father, my brothers, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and your Father to my God, and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things. Jesus was not dead. The tomb was empty. Yes, they knew he was empty to begin with, but they didn't know what happened. But now they knew that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. God raised him from the dead. The value of the empty tomb. Lee reminded me of this story Wednesday night as we were talking before church. There was a man from England that years ago wanted to take a cruise to America. This was a number of years ago, and he saved, and he scrimped, and he saved, and he scrimped. Some of you know that. You went on vacation before. He, he did everything he could because he really wanted to go on a cruise to America. So he finally got his ticket, and after he'd been on the ship several days, it was almost the end of the cruise. Someone saw him eating saltine crackers. They said, you must really like saltine crackers. He said, well, no, not really, but that's all I could afford to eat and bring on the trip. He said, sir, didn't you know that this cruise was all-inclusive? That anything you wanted to eat on the ship was already paid for? How do you think that guy felt? He probably felt like I do quite often, dumber than a rock. He probably felt like, man... I have ate these dry salting crackers for weeks while, or days while I'm on here and I could have had all the good food that the others ate. See, you say, why are you sharing that? Because when we talk about the value of the empty tomb, we need to know something that is all inclusive. Now we thank God for eternal life. I mean, that's the reason he came to this earth, so that we could have life 
and eternal life, but also life more abundantly. All of the blessings that God has, we have access to because of the empty tomb. Because the tomb is empty. Many of us are like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. Now, there's a lot of nasty things we could talk about him. We could talk about him, but I want to remind you of one thing. That when he went to his daddy and said, Dad, I'm upset because you killed a fatted calf. And I've been with you all these years. I've been faithful. And you never killed the fatted calf. And he looked at the son and said, Son, you could have killed that calf anytime you wanted to. Because everything I own is yours. Wow. The value of the empty tomb is access to the riches of God. Now, let me go ahead and throw this out. Material things are great. Material things are great. But the spiritual things are so much better. See, the Bible uses more than 85 names for God. More than 85 names. And each one of them depict and give a glimpse of who God is. So if we study all 85 names, guess what? We just begin to get a glimmer of who God is. Just a little bit. Elohim means God the creator. Jehovah, what I mentioned a few minutes ago, means the God of relationships. Adonai means the master God. Another name means the God of mercy. And I want to mention this about I said a while ago about relationships because I, I inserted that this morning and I got ahead of myself. Jehovah, God of relationships. Mosey Lister wrote a song a number of years ago. Some of you are old enough to remember it. A number of people recorded it, including Elvis. But the chorus says, like a king, I may live in a palace so tall with great riches to call my own. But I don't know a thing in this whole wide world that's worse than being alone. A lot of people are dropping out of church or have dropped out of church. But folks, God did not intend us to be alone. He intended us to be in the relationships. And the greatest relationship is with the God of relationships, and that is Jehovah. I read in Psychology Today, now I know that most of you know that's not the Bible. Psychology Today, when describing loneliness, said this. To be happy, we need intimate bonds. We need to be able to confide. We need to feel like we belong. We need to be able to get and give support. In fact, strong relationships are key. Perhaps the key to a happy life. We need each other. But the greatest need we have is a relationship with Almighty God. A relationship with a God 
that even while you were yet a sinner, he came to die for you. Even when the thief on the cross that Lee mentioned, the thief on the cross that was guilty, by his own admission, he said, I deserve what I am getting. Jesus looked at him and said, today, you will be with me in paradise. See, Jehovah God wants to be in relationship with each one of us. And he said, I've got to go away. But it's expedient. It's good. Not that I just die for you. Not just that there's going to be an empty tomb. But I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to send the Spirit. That's what Peter was talking about in Acts chapter 2. He said, the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit so that you and you and you and you and I could have a relationship. And I wouldn't have to be alone. In the words of that other great song, Andy walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I am his very own. More than 85 names. One of them's the mighty God. One of them's the faithful God. One of them's the God of my strength. One's God is our refuge. That's what the empty tomb means. The value of the empty tomb. More than 85 names to describe who God is. And the last one that I'll mention is Elohim Shahim, which means he is the living God. He is the living God because of the empty tomb. There's many takeaways that we could get from this message today, but I've summed them up just a couple. Number one, because the tomb is empty, we can believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. No other religion in the world can take you to a tomb and say, well, my master was there, but he was raised from the dead. No other belief, no other cult that I'm aware of, nobody can take you to a place that says, see that empty tomb? They place Jesus there. They put a guard to make sure nobody could steal it. They put a stone to make sure the disciples could not get it out. But none of them were big enough and strong enough to keep the power of an almighty God from resurrecting Jesus from the grave. The tomb is empty. Yes, because of the empty tomb, we can believe that the Bible is infallible word of God. Because of the empty tomb, we can live in victory, not in defeat. Because he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But this is the sad part. If we do not accept Christ and his forgiveness, 
the empty tomb and the old rugged cross are wasted. Wasted. Jesus died for nothing. Becomes meaningless unless we act on the truth of what does the empty tomb signify. Oh, we used to sing that old song, Up from the Grave He Rose. With a mighty triumph o'er his foes, Jesus arose. And the empty tomb validates the Bible. Amen. I said the empty tomb validates the Bible. I know that this may be strong for some of you. But we need to understand something. Without the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, we're just another social club. But because the tomb's empty, we have the power of an almighty God. And the Bible says, for those that have believed, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is now at work within you or work within us. The value of the empty tomb. Oh, yeah, they build a pyramid of $5 billion. They can build millions of dollars of a grave. But the most valuable grave in the world is an empty tomb that was not even bought. It was borrowed for three days because he didn't need it any longer than that. And people go see it today, but guess what? The tomb is empty because Jesus Christ is alive. Bow your heads in prayer with me. Hallelujah. 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 Holy Spirit, we rejoice today. We rejoice not because we get to dress up. We rejoice not because we get to spend some time with family today, as great as that is. The reason we rejoice is because the tomb is empty. All of our faith has been validated. That Jesus did not just claim to be the Son of God. He was and He is and will always be the Son of God. And He was alive, He is alive, and He will always be alive because death could not hold Him. The tomb is empty. Now, Father God, as we close this service today, the same God that had the power to resurrect that body is here today. That same Holy Spirit that was there on the day of Pentecost is here today to minister and to speak to people's hearts and lives. And so, Father, we ask you that we would not let that empty tomb be wasted, but that we would receive our forgiveness, receive the blessings, and receive all that you have for us. And we give you praise. We give you praise and we give you honor. We give you glory. 
We're going to sing a song, and if you would like to come and be prayed for today, if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, I can't think of a better day than today because the tomb is empty. And you say, well, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian a long time. You've got a lot to be thankful for because the tomb is empty. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.